Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. All right, well, good morning. It is good to see all of you here this morning. How's everybody? I appreciate that. It's good to see you all. I'm so thrilled to get to worship with you this morning. If you have a Bible, I sure hope you do. If you don't, we can get you one, but I want you to have a Bible this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians, or we're not going to be in Ephesians. We're going to be in Matthew, chapter 5. Maybe the Lord wants us to be in Ephesians. I don't know. I don't know. Ephesians, or Matthew, chapter 5, verse 31 through 37. All right, my married folks in the room, how many of you guys remember your wedding day? Yeah? You, man, you better not forget that. You'd be in trouble. Well, man, I remember my wedding day like it was, man, it was just an incredible, incredible day as I stood there in front of 300 of our parents' closest family and friends, if you catch that j- joke there. 300 of our closest family and friends as my beautiful wife, wife and, and bride-to-be walked down that aisle. I was standing there at the altar to greet her and we got up before all of our God, before God and all of our friends and family and committed to live our lives for God and alongside of each other for all of our days. It was incredible. Now, since that day, I've had the opportunity to do a lot of weddings. As you can imagine, being a college and young adult, adult pastor, you do a lot of weddings. Lots of weekends, a lot of weddings, lots of weddings. And I love it. It's amazing because each one of them, I get the opportunity to kind of relive a little bit of that special day. But here's one thing that I've noticed about every wedding I've done. I've never once ever heard a couple say, you know, we're going we're gonna to give this thing about seven or eight years and then we're going to call it quits. Maybe that couple's out there, but I have never met that person. I've never met that couple that says, hey, you know, we're going to t- try this thing out, but man, if it doesn't work, we'll call it quits. And yet, and yet, hear this, 40 to 50% of the people in this room have experienced or been directly impacted by divorce. Here's the other thing. If statistics are right, and I think they are, then 50% of marriages, not just out there, but in here, inside the church, end in divorce. So those are the statistics, right? So here's what I want to do this morning. Here's what I I hope that that we can do by the end of our time together. I want us to talk about what does Jesus have to say about marriage. So we're going to talk about how Jesus defines marriage. We're going to talk about Jesus's theology of marriage, but then also we're going to talk about how our marriages uh, play into the kingdom of God. So you remember We've been talking about this whole idea of the kingdom of God, that we live in the world, but not of the world. So we live here in this day and time, here in 2022, in Belton, Texas. We live here. We live right here. And yet, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been saved, then you are actually representing another world, another kingdom. And so we're going to talk about how does our marriage represent an entirely different kingdom on this earth. Okay? Sound like fun? All right, let's do it. Okay, Matthew chapter 5. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 5. You can pick up with me here in verse 31. 
you're willing and able, go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Read along with me here. It should be up on your screen. Verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Go ahead and be seated. So like I said, if you were to look at the statistics, 40 to 50% of us in this room have either gone through or been directly impacted by divorce. And that leads me to believe a couple of different things. The first thing that that leads me to believe is that we in the church even have adopted a low view of marriage. We've adopted a low view of marriage, but also uh, we've realized that commitment's pretty tough, right? Commitment's hard. It takes hard work. And there's a couple of reasons why. See, in our culture, in the culture that we live in today, there are a couple of reasons as to why this is true. Number one, I think we fall prey to the belief that our chief end and our purpose is to be happy. Maybe you've often heard or even said this phrase, sweetheart, I just want you to be happy. Because we have kind of fallen prey to the belief that at the end of the day, what what you and I need most is to be happy right? Secondly, we want the easy road to life. We live in an instant gratification world, don't we? Man, if I don't experience some instant gratification, I'm moving on. And so when things get tough, oftentimes it's just a little bit easier to quit. And so what does Jesus have to say about marriage? Well, what you need to know is that there are two particular uh, kind of schools of thought that, that come out of a particular passage in Deuteronomy chapter 24. So if we were to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, it's the law. Moses is talking about marriage and divorce, and there's two schools of thought that interpret that passage in one way or the other. I want to show that to you here in just a second. But in Deuteronomy chapter 24, Moses is writing, and here's what he says. He says, when a man takes a wife and he marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house and departs out of his house. Then her former husband, who has sent her away, may not be able to take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. So again, when we're talking about marriage and divorce, the audience that Jesus is speaking to has a couple things in mind. They're thinking through, okay, well, what in the world, what what school of thought is Jesus coming from here? And the two schools of thought are this. First, you had a school of thought that was taught by a rabbi named Shammai, and here's what he said. He would argue for a more stringent view of, and, and here's what he would say. He would say, all divorce is indecent and inappropriate. 
Now, there was another rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, who would teach a kind of a different thing. As a matter of fact, he'd be on the opposite end of the spectrum, and he would say this. He would argue from a laxer view that would say that men are permitted to divorce their wives for any particular reason. So he just wakes up one day and says, I don't really like her. Well, he could divorce her. It's pretty wild. It's pretty crazy. And yet our culture, in our culture today, we're not too different. See, there's two different views on marriage and divorce in our culture. The first one is the historic Christian view that would say divorce is unacceptable except under certain circumstances. Those circumstances we'll talk about here in just a minute. But then there's also the cultural worldview. The cultural worldview would say, well, divorce is just a part of life. It's another thing. It's part of life. And so it's permitted if any one of the parties decides, man, I'm just unhappy. I'm not happy in this relationship. So again, that brings us to the question, what does Jesus have to say about these issues? Well, first and foremost, what Jesus is going to say, I got four things for you. So four, first out of the four, the first thing that Jesus is going to say to us is, really, let me kind of back up. What you need to know is that Jesus is going to have a high view of marriage. So before we see what Jesus has to say to us, I want you to see that Jesus holds an incredibly high view of marriage. You'll see this in Matthew chapter 19, which is kind of plays off of Matthew chapter 5. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 19. It'll be on your screen here. Verse 3. And the Pharisees came up to him, and they tested him by asking. Notice what they asked. This is interesting. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And here's what he says. Here's what Jesus has to say. Have you not read that he who created them from the very beginning made them male and female? And he said this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but now they are one. And I want you to hear this. This is important. What their God has joined together, let not man separate. Right? So God is the one who joins together. God is the creator of marriage. And because God is the creator of marriage, he has uh, the authority to dictate how marriage ought to be. On top of that, he has, he has the authority to say whether or not you part or whether or not you stay together. Right? He even says that here. Let, let not even man separate. But the Pharisees asked Jesus an important question. The Pharisees are curious to know from Jesus, hey, what school of thought do you come from? Do you come from Rabbi Shammai, or do you come from Rabbi Hillel? That's really what they're wanting to know. Are you, uh, a, a, do, you, do you observe the strict view, or do you, do you observe the liberal view? But notice how Jesus answers the question. Jesus answers the question by taking them back where it all began, the creation narrative. I love what John Stott, Pastor John Stott, he says of this interaction. He writes, the Pharisees are consumed with the idea of divorce while Jesus is occupied with the institution and the value of marriage. So they're occupied with, well, how do I get out of this if I don't like it? And you say, it doesn't really matter. Because Jesus is occupied with the value and the institution of marriage. And Jesus takes us back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. He outlines the structure of marriage And Jesus defines it in this way. He says that marriage is the union created by God. It's important. It's created by God between one man and one woman for life. That's Jesus' basic definition for marriage. 
And so rather than focusing in on divorce, he has a high view of marriage. Now here's what Jesus does do. Jesus does bring some clarity out of that Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, verse, passage. Right? He says, I, I know what you've heard. Remember, he says that over and over and over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, he's going to say, you have heard that it was said, but I say. And so he brings clarity. He deepens that which they already know. And here's what he says. Verse 7 of chapter 19. Actually, they ask him a question, a really good question. They say, well then, if that's the case, Jesus, why then does Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And here's what he says in verse 8. He says, it was because of the hardness of heart that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But hear this. But from the very beginning, it was not so. He says the reason why Moses permitted divorce was because they live in a broken world and because they have a hardness of their heart. Now, here's what's pretty interesting. This is a pretty cool fact. The same word that we get hardening from, that root word, comes from the same word that you and I get sclerosis from. Maybe you know somebody or even maybe you've been diagnosed with muscular sclerosis. Well, if you, under, if you, if you do some digging and, and find kind of the definition of that, what you're going to find is this. This is the definition of that hardening, of that sclerosis. It's an abnormal hardening of body tissue leading to excessive resistance to change. That's what it means to be hardening. I'm going to say it again. It's an abnormal hardening of body tissue leading to excessive resistance to change. Notice the word abnormal. Abnormal. God did not create us with hardened hearts. Sin has hardened our hearts. So that's not how he created it in the beginning. But because of the hardness of our hearts, Moses has now permitted this, not as it should be, but as it is. But I want you to remember this. Because we're talking about this all, this whole series, we're going to be talking about this. What you and I need more than anything else is God to take up residence in our hearts to give us a soft heart that beats for Him, that transforms us from the inside and out. Far too long, Christians have been satisfied with what is called behavior modification. Far too long. We have been content and satisfied with behavior modification. The do's and the don'ts. We do this. We don't do that. We do this. We don't do that. But here's the deal. The entire Old Testament is a catalog of how that doesn't work. As a matter of fact, if that did work, Jesus would not have had to come give his life as a ransom for you and for me, and the Holy Spirit would not be needed to enter into your life, change your heart, so that you're able to obey him, follow him, and live in obedience to him. What we need is the Spirit to take up residence in our life, to transform our hearts, so that you and I are able to live in obedience to him. I love what Pastor Paul Carter, he writes this. He says, hard hearts cause people to persist in sin, and hard hearts make it hard to forgive others, but becoming a Christian is about, hear this, getting a new heart, a soft heart filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Such a heart is capable of change in the direction of Jesus and is capable of forgiving a brother or a sister even of the most grievous of sins. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's, it's that we have new, soft hearts that beat for Him that allow us to live in obedience to Him and to His Word. And so Jesus, He brings clarity to Moses' uh, words in Deuteronomy chapter 24. But hear this, I want you to know this. Number three, this is point number three, that Jesus does provide a concession for divorce. So He holds a high view of marriage right? He brings clarity to Moses' writing in Deuteronomy 24, but then also Jesus does provide a concession for divorce. Now, I want you to keep this in mind because this is important. You got to keep in mind who Jesus' audience is when he is talking to these people. You have to learn that, remember, they've got two different views, right? They've got a strict view that would say all uh, divorce is indecent, You've got the other one that would say, hey, you know what? If you're dissatisfied in your marriage, call it quits, right? For any particular reason. Well, most of the people that Jesus is speaking to land in the latter category. And so when Jesus speaks to them here in just a minute, you're going to see in chapter 5, verse 32, here in just a second, is that Jesus is going to come in there and say, hey, listen, I know you think, right, that you can just divorce for any particular reason. But what Jesus is going to say that there is one concession. You'll see that in verse 32. There's one concession. Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, hear this, this is the exception clause, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, first and foremost, what we need to understand this morning is that by the nature of being Christian, by the nature of the Holy Spirit taking residence in our heart, transforming our heart, giving us the ability to forgive and to seek out reconciliation, our goal always always is to first and foremost pursue reconciliation in all relationships, but especially in the marital relationship. Now, when that's not an option, when reconciliation is not an option, Jesus then provides that one concession for divorce, which is sexual adultery. Now, we need to know this morning what Jesus is talking about here. He, he's not talking about just anything, right? He's talking about sexual adultery, a sexual offense against one's spouse. So, according to him, the only ground for divorce if there is, an, is, is if there is an affair in the relationship, okay? Now, I do think the Bible provides a caveat as a matter of fact, if you were to uh, do a biblical study of marriage and divorce, I think you would actually find a couple more concessions for divorce and remarriage. In fact, we don't, we don't have just a ton of time to be able to dive into all of that because I want to stay focused on what Jesus has to say here. But I think if you were, again, to do that study, I think you would find at least three other concessions. The first one would be marital abuse, abandonment, and then, of course, death. Great place to start if you want to do more study, be 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul has a lot to say about these things, so I'd encourage you to, to go there. But again, I want to stay focused on what Jesus has to say this morning. Because if Jesus opens, or if he has a concession for divorce, then that also leaves a door for remarriage. And I want to get to that, which is our point number four. 
So Jesus opens the door for divorce, but then also gives us a path for remarriage. In fact, Matthew chapter 5 and then, verse, and then chapter 19, Jesus provides this cause, but again, opens the door for remarriage. And I think this is a helpful, helpful quote. I want to read this to you. When the Bible permits divorce, it is so that the wronged or abandoned party may remarry. That's what a certificate of divorce is. Therefore, in any case where a divorce is biblically permissible, it is also permissible for the wronged or the abandoned party to remarry. Now, here is Jesus simply saying that if a divorce is not legitimate, then the remarriage is not legitimate. If the divorce is legitimate, then remarriage is legitimate. So, Jesus presents this high view of marriage. And because Jesus presents a high view of marriage, we too also ought to have an incredibly high view of marriage. I think that's the reason why in that next section of of our passage this morning, Jesus spends so much time on commitment because commitment is tough. And so in verse 37, he's going to simply say this, hey, listen, you don't need to be a person of oaths. You don't need to swear. What you need to do is just be a person who says yes or no, and then follow through on your commitments, right? Commitments are hard enough to follow. And so therefore, Jesus says, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. In fact, there is no reason to make an oath or a promise because our character ought to be so that when we as God's people, when we make commitments, the people around us ought to just say, wow, they're going to follow through. If I say yes, I'm going to do it. If I say no, I'm not going to do it. It's just as simple as that. How much more so than that should that be in our marriages? Yes or no? It's as simple as that. We need to be a people whose integrity show up in our commitments. Now, here's why all of this matters, guys. Here's why all of this matters. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul talks about, that's where I got the Ephesians part. I knew there was a reason. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul, he's writing verses 25 through 32, and he talks about marriage. And, and Paul, you know, he's kind of he's crazy. He does this crazy thing where he takes marriage and he compares it to the relationship between Christ and his bride. That's a daunting thing to do. As a matter of fact, marriage is the only thing, the only example in the entire Bible, with the exception of maybe adoption, that is actually an illustration for God's relationship with His people, namely us in this room. It's the only one. And so Paul actually says that marriage, when functioning rightly, is a demonstration of the gospel to the world. So hear me, your marriage, for better or for worse, is a demonstration to the world of God's love relationship with His people. So hear me say that again. Your marriage, for better or for worse, is a demonstration to the world of God's love relationship with His people. The way you love your wife 
demonstrates to the world the way that God loves His church. The way you value, the way you respect, the way that you follow your husband, for better or worse, demonstrates to the world God's relationship with His people. There is nothing that offers greater kingdom impact per Paul's words in Ephesians 5 than your marriage, than my marriage. Your marriage has so much kingdom influence, and believe me, believe, believe me when I tell you this, there is nothing that Satan would love to do more than to take out the one thing that is a demonstration of the gospel on this earth. And so we've got to be people who fight for our marriages. We have to be a people who fight for marriage. We have to be, because God created it to be a demonstration on this earth of a new and a coming kingdom and his relationship between him and his people. And so here's what I want to do as I land the plane. I want to talk to three groups of people in this room, okay? So first and foremost, I want to talk to my married folks in the room. Listen, you need to understand your marriage matters. Your marriage matters. It matters to God, matters to our church, it matters to this community, and hear me, it matters to the world. Your marriage matters. It matters. And so therefore, we must protect our marriages. We need to fight for fruitfulness, faithfulness, and fidelity in our marriages. The kingdom is at stake because the kingdom is at stake. And so men, I'm going to talk to the men and women. I, if, if I could understand the way your brains think, I would write a book and we'd, you know, we'd, we'd make millions and we'd be able to build a building. But today we're not doing that. So I'm going to talk to the men. Men, don't let it be lost on you that God's calling on your life is to give up your life for your bride. Don't let that be lost on you. Don't let David's words to you be lost on you. In Psalm 128, verse 6, he, he says that your wife ought to look like a well-watered vine in your home. That means that you are called, you are designed uniquely to create in your home an environment where your wife thrives, full of joy, and certainly not like my back porch right now that looks like a bunch of withered vines. She ought to thrive, and you ought to take great delight in her. You ought to treasure her, because if you don't, somebody else will. Treasure your wife. Love her. Man, do not be that man who comes home after a long day's work, sits on the couch, and turns on the TV. Man, be the man who comes home, who gives his life for his bride, who does the dishes, who serves her, who serves the kids, who takes the kids and, and allows her to have some time. Goodness, give your life for your bride. Love her, date her, take care of her, treasure her. If you don't, somebody else will. Married folks, fight for your marriage. Now, hear, hear me, this is an incredible, important group of people that I want to speak to this morning. People who are in or who have been through a divorce. 
eyes on me. You need to hear this this morning. God's grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for you. There is nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you have done. There's nothing that you will do to be able to outrun God's uh, redeeming reach. You are not defined by a divorce. If you've placed your faith and your trust in Christ, if He is your Savior, then He is rewriting a story in your life if only you will let Him. Just like Kristen said, you can allow divorce to be the chains that hold you down, or you can step into the grace of Christ, refuse to be defined by that, and say, you know what? God's going to write a new story in my life, and He's going to use my story to impact others for the sake of the kingdom. Listen, don't be the person in the room who is defined by something that God says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember that verse, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. So pursue the Lord. Get in His Word. Be in His community. Be in the church. And don't look back. Now, people who are unmarried, my young folks in the room, my young adults in the room, if you're unmarried or if you're a young adult in the room and you desire marriage, I want you to know you desire a good thing, but I want you to hear me. Marriage matters. It matters. And so does the way you date. So does the way you date. There are a couple things I want you to hear. As you date, I want you to keep this in mind. Marriage, or I'm sorry, dating is practice for marriage. Christians don't date just to date. I'll be here after this if you want to argue with me. Christians don't date just to date. We date in preparation for marriage. There's purpose behind it. Don't play with somebody's soul. Don't play with someone's heart, right? Date for the purpose of marriage. Secondly, I want you to find a person who loves Jesus, a person you enjoy spending time with, someone who can be your best friend, someone who you're attracted to, and pursue them and only them until the Lord says otherwise. That's it. Pursue that one person. I want you to take your purity seriously. You may say, well, Logan, that's legalistic. Maybe it is legalistic, but I can promise you, you won't be disappointed. Take your purity seriously. Listen, when you open yourself up to sexual acts before marriage, your emotions cloud your judgment, and you give your heart away to someone who is not ready, nor are they prepared to protect it. They're not prepared. They're not prepared to protect your heart. And I promise you, it will lead to more and more grief afterwards. And then finally, until married, that person that you are dating is not yours. The person that you were dating is not yours. They're God's first. They're their mom and dad's second. And you are a mere steward of someone else's treasure. You are a mere steward of someone else's treasure. And you know, I don't know that I realized that until I had my own kiddos. And I'm looking at these two right here 
little blonde-headed blue eyes right here that are looking right at me. Listen, don't mess with my kids. Right? And you think I'm bad, you should see Mama Bear. (laughs) These two kids are my treasure. I love them. I'd do anything in the world for them. Treat them the way you would want to be treated. Treat the person that you're dating with love, care, and respect. Boys, boys, don't be a boy. Be a man. Your role is to love, to care, and protect. Know your boundaries. Love, care, and protect. Isn't that right, Lane? We talk about it all the time. Our job is what? To love, care, and protect our girls, right? Yes, sir. That's our job. Because in that environment, our girls can flourish. Our girls can flourish. And in that environment, the world looks at our marriages and goes, wow, this must be what the kingdom of God is like. So when you think on your marriage, I want you to think about this. Is your marriage, is it a demonstration of the gospel on this earth for better or for worse? Now I want you to think about this. What needs to change in your marriage today? Not tomorrow. Don't give me that whole thing, well, we have to start on a Monday. It's not a diet. It's not a diet. What needs to change tomorrow in your marriage so that you can say, so that you can say that our marriage is a demonstration of God's love relationship with his people on this earth. So much so that people in your circles would look in and go, wow, man, that's incredible. I want that. I want that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father, we come to you today and we recognize Number one, that you have a high view of marriage, and Lord, we're thankful for that. We're thankful that you have given this beautiful, sweet gift to us, and it ought to be sweet. It ought to be joyful. It's a wonderful gift created by you for us. God, help us to to be reminded that marriage is for us, but it's not about us. It's about your kingdom it's about advancing your kingdom that when, when the lost world would look in at our marriages, they'd go, wow, I just, I want what they have. Christ must be in the center of that relationship. God, help us to have strong, faithful, and fruitful marriages. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us just to take some time Married folks, I just simply want you to spend some time with the Lord and just say, okay, all right, Lord, what what do I need to change today? And even before that, let's, let's go back, right? Let's go back to, God, would you change my heart? Maybe there's something going on in my heart that, Lord, I just need you to change. Maybe it's as we talked about last week, there's some lust going on in our hearts, for physical things or maybe even emotional things that, that we're not getting. God, would you change my heart? 
God, would you take up residence in my heart and would you just change that? And then out of that, God, give me some steps. How can I love my wife? How can I serve her? How can I give my life for her? Maybe that's doing some things that I don't really like to do. Maybe that's going out of my way to just simply say, babe, you're beautiful. I just love you so much. I'm so grateful for you. Or maybe it's, or maybe it's something that I just really need to cut out in my life. Or maybe it's the other way around of, man, I'm just so thankful for you and your leadership and our family. And I'm just being thankful or grateful or you name it. And then for those who have been directly impacted by divorce or maybe you're in a divorce or going through a divorce or, or wherever you find yourself, just simply say, God, I need your grace. I need your grace. Help me to know that I'm not defined by my circumstances, that you don't deal with me according to my sin, but rather, God, help me to see that there is new light, that you're rewriting a story in my life, a story of redemption, that there's a path for me. And for maybe for the, the folks in the room who have a divorce in their past, and maybe they're remarried, God, I pray that, that they would champion marriage. I pray that God, you would give them an extra dose of grace to love and to care for their spouse. Help them too in, in any particular area where they have struggled to be defined by that marriage, where they're still looking backwards instead of looking forward. And so if that's you, just simply say, God, I, I, I want to look forward. I want to look backward. Paul even says, forget what lies behind and press on forward to the upward call of Christ Jesus. And then for all of the folks, the unmarried folks who desire the good thing of marriage, I pray, God, that you would just grant them wisdom, grant them grace, grant them a path. And so if you're in this room and, and you're unmarried and you desire this thing, just simply say, God, give me that wisdom. Give me the path forward. Help me to see the value of purity. Help me to see the value of dating for the purpose of marriage and not just dating to date. Help me to place my contentment in you and not in some other person. And then for those who maybe you've called to live a life of singleness, God, thank you for them. Thank you for that calling. As Paul would say, man, keep running the race. And maybe you might just ask the Lord, God, help me to keep running the race. Help me to stay focused on the calling that you have placed on my life. Worship team, if you would go ahead and come on up. Father, we are so grateful for you. We're grateful most and foremost for 
the gift of marriage. We're grateful for the grace that you've extended to us in Christ. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, help us to protect our marriages, to fight for fruitfulness and faithfulness and fidelity. God, I pray that our marriages in this church would truly be a demonstration of your love for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.